Hey guys, welcome to the View from the Front podcast, a fast-moving, fun, military defense news podcast. For those who don't know, my name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior Marine and journalist. Every week, I primarily do three things. First, I work to highlight what our military troops are doing around the world, while also trying to better educate Americans about looming hotspots and foreign policy news you absolutely should know. Second, I attempt to unite our country and remind us of how lucky we are to live in America. Our division and animosity toward each other is dangerous, and I want to do my small part to remind us that more unites us than divides us, and that most Americans are good and not screaming crazy extremists like you see on the news all the time. Finally, I always share plenty of motivation and wisdom at the end of each episode because I want to do my small part to help encourage you and lift you up. Life is certainly hard, and I think it's fair to say all of us need all the motivation and encouragement that we can possibly get. Every Thursday, I produce this podcast, so if you haven't signed up yet, I'd appreciate if you did. All episodes are ad-free, and it's completely free to sign up and join the email list, or you can help sustain and support the show for $5 per month. Subscribing will also get you the View from the Front Extended, which is a daily newsletter that I put out Monday through Friday each day, usually in the morning. You can find out how to subscribe from my Substack page, which is stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. Or you can just Google it, and it's one of the first ones that pops up. And with that out of the way, let's get started. This is the April 6th edition, and we're really glad to have you here. And did I say April? Man, how are we already in April? I have no idea, but this year's going fast, and um, man, just hold on, because it's life goes fast, does it not? All right, so in this episode, we'll be discussing lots of topics, which hopefully interest you, and I bet you probably haven't seen these things in the news, because as I say oh so often, our media is not the greatest at covering uh, looming hotspots, the military, etc., so... Uh, got stuff on the United States, our military, got stuff on Ukraine and Russia, got quite a few things on China, got some things happening in the Middle East I want to go over. So we'll cover all of these things, plus we'll obviously do lots of motivation and wisdom. Now, before we get into all of that news, I do have some personal news, which is that besides talking defense, I am now also writing about some political thoughts. I don't really want to call it politics, because for me it's more what I would call like moderate Lincoln-like political ideas and hope. Uh, the name of the site is Thoughts from a Southern Gentleman. I've got that in the Substack notes, but you can just Google Thoughts from a Southern Gentleman. Include my name, Stan R. Mitchell, and it'll come up, or you can just find the link. But you might say, well, Stan, there are like a lot of political newsletters out there. What makes you different? And I would say, I'm glad you asked that question. So I'm doing this in part because... I couldn't find anyone who's speaking with kindness, calm, and love about politics, as well as hope. So, in my opinion, you guys know me because you've been listening to me for a long time. There's just far too much anger in politics. And so I'm going to do my best to bring the spirit of Lincoln into each thought I share. And I'll also try to have an optimistic and positive tone to every post. And believe it or not, I'm actually optimistic about the future. But I'm not naive, and I know that we could take some punches or get knocked down in the days and weeks to come. But... As Lincoln said, the better angels of our nature must climb back to our feet and never surrender. So 
I've got some links to the first. I've already written two posts for it, actually. I guess I've been busy since last Thursday. The first one is called The Light of Dawn Emerges. And uh, I think you really like that one. And the second one is called Trump Returns to New York. You can probably guess what that one is about. But again, I think this is a, kind of a different take than you're going to find somewhere else. So I would be honored if you would like to sign up for it. It is free, and I hope it grows into something that um, becomes something. I've actually been blown away by the response so far. So I've only announced it on social media and to my newsletter list. But the response has been pretty impressive because I think we, I think our politics are too, we make them almost too much like entertainment. We're both sides are slinging mud at each other and we're cheering on this side or cheering on that side. Meanwhile, the city behind us is burning to the ground. And so, you know, we've got a Congress that can't pass budgets and we've got all kinds of issues and we just need a little bit of bipartisanship. We need a little bit of love. We need a little bit of understanding and a whole lot less name calling. So that's kind of what I'm bringing to the table. I think you will enjoy those posts if you go check them out. And like I said, I'd be honored if you sign up. But enough about that. Let's get to the real deal as far as everything going on in the world from a military and defense perspective. We're going to begin with a focus on U.S. news and things happening that I think you guys need to know about. First one involves, unfortunately, and I've talked in previous podcasts about how just dangerous even peacetime training is. Unfortunately, there was a training collision between two helicopters that killed uh, nine soldiers in the Army the, since the last Thursday. Unfortunately... A lot of the training that has to be done involves helicopters flying in low light or darkness. And if you're going to train for war, you have to train for real. And when you train for real, you don't have flashing alert lights on helicopters. So they were flying with night vision only, no warning lights or you know notification lights on the helicopters. Helicopters, and unfortunately, the two collided. So I'm really sad to say that nine soldiers died in that. It was similar to, I think it was in 97 when I was in one of the operations we were in. We were doing a, um, I guess, a fake invasion of North Carolina, but we were training to do this invasion. And if I recall correctly, it was Bravo Company. I was in Alpha Company, 1st Battalion, 8th Marines. But Bravo Company, two helicopters collided. A Cobra attack helicopter flew right into the side of a, what we called back then, a CH-46 which carries troops so unfortunately both of those went down it was a horrific horrific accident and they paused training for a bit so it's i hate when these things happen but back then as well it was not you know we were doing the quote practice invasion at night just like we would in real life and when you have aircraft flying using night vision only which doesn't have good peripheral vision it doesn't allow you to see left or right very well these things can happen, and so it's very, very, very sad. I think in 97, it was uh, 14 Marines that died in that one. But like I said, we lost nine soldiers. And in other news I did want to bring up, unfortunately, we lost a just an amazing, amazing man. His name was Mike Day. He was a Navy SEAL who was shot 27 times in Iraq and survived I've got a link to his story if you want to read it. It's uh, incredible. He was uh, one of the entry men that went into a 
room and started immediately taking fire and just did his best to somehow survive it and to return fire. His vest took some of the rounds. Um, he goes into his story about how he didn't even realize how bad he was hurt. I guess adrenaline had completely consumed him as he tried to just fight off these insurgents. But yeah, his story, I've got it linked to a link to it in the substack from uh, Task and Purpose. He unfortunately has passed. And so that's very tragic news. So I did want to share that because I like to focus on our military and we certainly mourn the loss of this incredible warrior. One other thing that I wanted to share, and I debated whether to share this because, frankly, the just sheer ignorance of those in Congress and that a U.S. general would have to go to Congress and even state the obvious is, it's almost childish. But at any rate, this happened, it was news, and I guess because something needs to happen, I thought I'd at least cover it. And that is... Oh, I don't even really want to say this, but at any rate, the General Milley had to go to Congress and state that the U.S. should not invade Mexico because of drug problems and immigration issues. And honestly, even talking about this insults my intelligence almost too much to even say the words, and it probably insults your intelligence to even hear the words, but from the story, I've got a link to it. The U.S. military should not lead American counter-drug efforts in Mexico, nor cooperate against cartels there without the express consent of the Mexican government, said Joint Chiefs Chairman General Mark Milley. Republicans and conservative media pundits have seized on border security, often accusing the Biden administration of devoting insufficient attention and security forces to the issue in recent Senate and House hearings about the President's defense budget request, Milley and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin faced multiple questions from Republicans asking about the possibility of a U.S. military intervention or some greater role for troops in stopping the inbound flow of drugs, including fentanyl and people. President Donald Trump, the frontrunner for the 2024 GOP presidential nomination, has asked for, quote, battle plans, end quote, to invade Mexico to, quote, conduct specific military operations to destroy the cartels, end quote, he said in an interview last week. So, gosh, I can't even believe I had to say that or read it, but yeah, I don't think we should send our military into Mexico. The border is an issue, but it's, you know, there are ways to deal with the border, and the two sides can't seem to agree on how to do it, but I don't think we should expand the border, even if we went, I mean, I, I really, I can't even, I can't even talk about the options without sounding like such a angry person that I'm, I'm not even going to do it. But the military is advising we not invade Mexico to deal with the issues of drugs or immigration. So if more is said on that, I may share it. I may not. I don't know. It depends. You, you sometimes do have to like squash out just foolish ideas because if you don't they just grow and gosh man some of the stuff that grows all right i'll end the rant let's move to some uh, russia and ukraine news which is unfortunately far more serious there is as you would imagine a lot to cover 
And I thought I would just start with, you know, just, there's a lot to decide what's most important, but sadly, since last Thursday, even though it's already kind of died out of the news since then, it was bigger news on Friday-ish, Saturday. Honest to goodness, I feel like all the big news breaks after every podcast, but shortly after putting out the last episode, Russia acted like the complete out-of-control police state that it is, and it arrested a Wall Street Journal reporter. They're claiming that he is, or he is alleged to, you know, be guilty of spying. This is a very well-known reporter. It's, unless I'm dead wrong, the charges are absolutely absurd. And so they will use him as a hostage to try to get back whomever they want. Of course, he joins now Paul Whelan, which we're still trying to get Paul back. He was arrested back in 2018, was given a 16-year sentence for spying. Neither Trump nor Biden so far have been able to get him back. So Russia has, once again, gotten another prisoner that shouldn't be a prisoner. I will say that, uh, you know, honestly, my firm belief is that all Americans need to just get out of Russia as fast as they can. I think that Russia's as out of control as Iran on false imprisonments and bogus detainments. So I'm probably overreacting, but then again, I'm probably not. But I don't even think we should have a State Department folks there anymore. I just think Russia is no longer a country that even comes close to following the rule of law. And we should get all of our personnel out, period. That's my view. Maybe I'm overreacting. I know we have to somehow com keep communication with them, but they certainly act on a routine basis like a out-of-control country that borders on a terrorist state that also borders on creating genocide in Ukraine. Am I overreacting when I say genocide? No, I don't think so. Uh, indiscriminate attacks on major cities, putting small kids separating families, putting them on trains, taking them into Russia. I call that genocide. So, yeah, I, th I think Russia's bordering on a terrorist and genocidal state. I certainly wouldn't go there. I'll keep you posted on that. It's really sad news that, yet again, they're going to have someone that they can dangle for probably a legitimate spy that the U.S. has, but I'll keep you posted. In other big news that has happened since last Thursday, the U.S. announced it's going to provide Ukraine with $2.6 billion in additional military aid. They're going to send about $500 million in ammunition and equipment, and they're going to spend about $2 billion more to buy an array of munitions, radar, and other weapons. And this is all part of what they're hoping will be a spring offensive against Russian forces. While we're talking money, um, we talked about General Milley earlier. He said that not stopping Russia in Ukraine could force a doubling of the U.S. defense budget. And then he goes into that a bit. But, you know, we really are getting, I say this so often, but we really, really are getting a lot of bang for our buck with our assistance to Ukraine. It's not only the right humanitarian, humanitarian thing to do, it is also the best use of our money. Like I've said before, a lot of the... First of all, we have no American troops there, so we are sending equipment, much of which is used and older and would probably be destroyed or sold for a much reduced value. So we are sending used equipment to help the Ukrainians defend themselves, which they are very thankful for, and they are using with amazing, just absolute amazing efficiency. 
moving away from that latest announcement regarding funding, I did want to share, just because this is a Republican frontrunner, and I try not to get into the politics, guys, but it was said, so it needs to be reported. Uh, Trump said in an interview that, and of course he is the frontrunner for the Republican Party at this point, that Putin will, quote, ultimately, Putin's going to take over all of Ukraine, end quote. Now, this didn't really make the news when he said it because it's a he did a one-hour interview and there was lots of other stuff going on, including his upcoming indictment, which has now happened. But I have to I have to cover this because this is huge news that he would say that. And I would make about a dozen points on why it's not true, but no one already listening to this podcast needs to hear that. It is just absolutely absurd that anyone could say that Russia is going to take over all of Ukraine. And I don't care if it's some dope with a YouTube channel or someone who's in some state legislature or a governor or in Congress or the Senate or the front runner for one of the two major parties. Anyone who thinks that Russia is going to take over all of Ukraine is absolutely out of their I guess informed state. I will be nice. I'll try not to. I try not to name call. I swear I do. But you won't find any analyst who says the same thing. And I'm not going to spend even another second explaining why that is absolutely absurd. But it was said. It had to be reported. So I've reported it. I also did want to report that since the last edition, Finland has officially joined NATO. And I wanted to mention just a couple of sentences from an Associated Press article, which the headline was, Finland joins NATO, dealing a blow to Russia for Ukraine war. Let me just read just a couple of things here. Finland joined the NATO military alliance Tuesday, dealing a major blow to Russia with a historic realignment of the continent triggered by Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. Finland's membership represents a major change in Europe's security landscape. The country adopted neutrality after its defeat by the Soviets in World War II, but its leaders signaled they wanted to join the alliance just months after Russian President Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine sent a shiver of fear through Moscow's neighbors. Finland shares a 1,340-kilometer mile it's a 832 miles i should say border with russia so its membership doubles russia's border with the world's biggest security alliance so that's what the ap wrote about it and i wanted to expand on it just a bit because i've talked about so many times about what a terrible strategist putin is but i came across two summaries on social media that were so concise and they were so strong that i couldn't not share them And so, um, this one comes from a guy named James Carafano. He said, Putin just added 832 miles of border with NATO. If he really believed NATO was a threat and a problem, he would have just left Europe alone. He is lucky NATO is an alliance about collective defense and not the aggressor. And what he means by that is right now, those borders, 800 miles of border... I mean, it's hard to even wrap your mind around or your arms around for sure. But what he's saying is that if NATO wasn't a defensive organization, then Russia would literally 
have to move troops and security checkpoints and border crossings and all kinds of things to literally man that whole 800 miles where NATO would invade. And uh, anyway, he goes on to say, Putin's accomplishments so far are one, wiping out his frontline military, two, Finland has joined NATO, three, he has ensured the strongest army in Europe is now on his border and fighting mad, which he means made NATO, four, he has crashed his economy, five, he is now a vassal of China, six, he got himself declared a war criminal. And then James ends by saying, super impressive. So, I think he summed up what I would say far better than what I could say. So, Now, while we are talking about political implications, I will say that Ukraine did something smart, in my opinion, the opposite of what Putin had done by invading, which is uh, recently uh, Zelensky made yet another smart move. He actually invited China to visit. And I think, you know, in a way it seems crazy because you're like, well, China just visited Russia. They're kind of somewhat allies. Why would he do that? But I thought this perfectly summarized what you know my my take on it is, which is this. This was written by Alec Bertina, who is a journalist and conflict analyst. Uh, Alec called it a quote good diplomacy, and wrote this: If Xi Jinping, China's president, doesn't turn up, it does not make him look like the impartial mediator he is trying to come across as. If he does turn up, it is an uncomfortable situation for Russia. Plus, it shows Ukraine is open to diplomatic input from anyone. So, I thought that was real good. Real good point there. And so, we'll see what happens as far as China potentially having their head of state visit or not. Now, while we're on that topic of China with the Ukraine-Russia uh, war, I did want to also say that the president of France is meeting with the leader of China and uh, Emmanuel Macron wants to, quote, bring Russia back to reason, end quote, and get everyone back to the negotiating table, end quote. So he's in China doing that. That's He's from the beginning tried to negotiate a peace. And some say, perhaps skeptically, that uh, eh, I don't want to go there. But at any rate, sometimes the French prefer peace. I guess that's the nicest way to say it. But he's been seeking peace from the beginning as Russia has rained down bombs, missiles, etc. And I think he was saying that there should be peace even when Russia was on the outskirts of the capital of Ukraine. So sometimes instead of sending weapons, he's been a little bit more about sending um, negotiators. But at any rate, that's his view. I did want to share that there's a uh, an in individual named uh, Fred Hoffman who's a colonel, retired colonel from the army, and he made a great point on social media. He said this is not a good time for Ukraine to negotiate with Russia, that Putin knows Russia has captured all it could ever capture in Ukraine, so this is the optimum time for him to say, okay, let's negotiate. But uh, Fred Hoffman says that Ukraine needs to counterattack and humiliate Russia and Putin and negotiate with Russia at a time of its choosing at a later date. So... Now, in keeping with that line of thinking, I've got several little things I wanted to share that is not good news for Russia. First, there's an update on the MiG fighter jets coming from Poland. They have handed over four of them. So, four fighter jets, that MiG-29s from Poland to Ukraine, so that greatly increases Ukraine's combat power. We'll assist it with uh, 
continuing to have at least, um, I guess, equality in the skies. Increasingly, I think that uh, Ukraine is starting to have some air superiority. Russian fighters do not dare go near the capital or any of the contested airspace because the anti-air missiles for Ukraine are much better than they were. Now, additionally, Ukraine has announced it is now using what our military calls JDAMs. These are the uh, guided bombs. We basically take a un unguided regular gravity bomb, which there are tons of them out there, and you add a guidance system to them. And then they are accurate to within 20 to 30 feet. And what's interesting is it adds uh, wings to them, so it actually adds the range to the bombs once you drop them from a uh, jet. Now, the correct term for a JDAM is Joint Direct Attack Munition, and like I said, their maximum range is 15 nautical miles. So once they drop one of these, because they have these wings added to them, it makes them move forward. So they're very accurate very very accurate the u.s has been using them in iraq and afghanistan for decades now and so ukraine has those and that is very bad news for russia and the crazy thing is is they're not very expensive either you'll see estimates of about twenty to thirty thousand dollars so for twenty to thirty thousand dollars you add it to a dumb unguided bomb which of course there's plenty of those typically five hundred a thousand or two thousand pounds add these very inexpensive package to a bomb and then suddenly it's almost like a guided missile it is very accurate so that's not good news for russia also not great news is they're running out of counter battery radar the defense intelligence for the united kingdom announced that as of march 23rd there was a uh, counter battery radar that a russian uh, zupark 1m that was destroyed in the area of donetsk and Obviously, both sides are trying to destroy counter-battery radars. These are the radar systems that when a enemy fires artillery at you, you can, using radar, basically determine pretty accurately where the shell came from and fire back at it, which is why artillery generally shoots and moves. What's crazy, though, is the defense intelligence from the United Kingdom is now saying that they believe Russia has lost at least six of these Zupark 1Ms, and likely only have a very limited number left in Ukraine. And so, this is not great news for Russia at all. Let me just further explain that just a bit. So, if you have enemy artillery that can pull up in an area, deploy their, you know, all the stability legs and apparatus that they use, and then they can fire some rounds, and then you can adjust those rounds and walk them onto a target and then they can fire some more and then you can adjust and they can stay there without having to worry about picking up and moving I mean that is huge so this is not going to be good for Russia at all of course the UK defense uh, intelligence agency also says that Russia is going to struggle to essentially create new ones because high-tech electronics have been disrupted by sanctions so that means Russia is gonna to have to try to get this from either North Korea or maybe China if China will ever arm them but that is not great news if you're on team Russia for sure now we've been talking a fair amount about the upcoming spring offensive so let me quickly share 
two dissenting views on it. The first one comes from uh, four-star general Mark Hurtling. We've talked about him as a source a ton. And he shared a thread on Twitter of his views of the upcoming offensive that spring uh, that will be launched in the spring by Ukraine. And the summary of it would be kind of a don't get your hopes up. I've got the link to it in the substack if you want to read the whole thing because it's great. But let me just kind of summarize it that while he says the Ukrainian army is good and combat savvy, uh, he said just like the Russian army at the beginning of the war, it's not 10 feet tall. And so they're going to be doing complex offensive uh, operations, which are difficult. He said it's hard to execute large scale missions with deliberate attacks and combined arms breaches that they're going to have to cross a river in the southern part of the country if they go across the uh, across where Kherson is, the Dnipro River. And so he said that, you know, this is going to be hard to do. The Russians are dug in in depth, and they're going to change from firing artillery at cities to firing artillery at Ukrainian troops. And so he thinks this is going to be very challenging, and that while Ukraine will gain additional ground, the spring offensive, quote, won't be a war winner. Ukraine will need more support. So that was the gist of his summary for it. Wanted to share the counter view. Again, this is from a guy I quoted earlier, Colonel, uh, retired Colonel Fred Hoffman. And he said that while he's not a former general, he disagrees and that uh, he spent 30 years in human intelligence and psychological operations. He said that he believes the most important battle space in Ukraine right now is not land, sea, airspace, or cyber. It is the human mind. It is human cognition, is what he said. And he said, Ukrainians are fighting, and I'm going to read a couple paragraphs here. He said, Ukrainians are fighting an existential battle to save their country, their land, their homes, their families. Their motivation is high. By contrast, Russian troops are poorly led, poorly trained, poorly equipped, poorly supplied, and poorly motivated. Ukraine was not the three-day-long cakewalk that they were told to expect. Not at all. And then he goes on to talk about Russian history a bit, and I'll read that as well. He says, look at Russian history. It is replete with instances where Russian defenders fought tooth and nail in this or that battle. It is also filled with instances where Russian troops folded and ran. And so he said, you have to look at the circumstances to understand why Russian troops fought well or didn't. And he said, you have to look at the intangibles, such as, you know, are they defending their own land or are they doing attacks they don't want to do? And then he ended by saying, look at how Russians themselves talk about the war on Telegram, there, which is a uh, like an, an encryption software that you can put on your phone so that you can talk freely in places like Russia. Anyway, he says, there is open discussion by prominent bloggers about the possibility of Russia losing this war. So uh, retired Colonel Fred Hoffman is making the argument that he thinks the spring offensive will go well and that at some point, and I've always kind of thought this too, that at some point the Russian army might literally just break. There was again some, uh, I didn't bother saving it because I've said it so many times, but there was again evidence that came out on social media since last podcast that the typical drafty in Russia, the typical conscript, they're literally getting about two to three days worth of training. They give them a few rounds, they show them how to shoot an AK, and then they send them south. So I discussed at length about how much training I got as an infantryman. Way back in the day, I got three months of boot camp. I got two months of infantry training. So right there, you're already at five months. I still was only a basically trained Marine at that point. When I got to the uh, 
active duty, what the Marine Corps calls fleet marine forces. I was I was a, such a newbie that I was of very little value, and it took another months and months of training under great corporals and sergeants to even start to become a decent warfighter. And obviously, Russia does not have an NCO corps, uh, corps uh, NCOs, non-commissioned officers, so they don't have corporals, sergeants training these guys very well. They have officers, many of whom are stealing money from their very own troops. So this is not the same situation. So I probably didn't need to go off on that huge tangent, but for any new listeners who aren't aware, two to three days training is not enough. And so that's why these guys are mostly walking targets. All right, so we're going to hit three quick final things, and then we're going to move away from the Ukraine thing. And I promise these are super quick. First, I've got an update in the Substack notes. So far, the U.S. has trained 7,000 Ukrainian fighters in the last year. So that's a pretty good number, actually, as far as the difference in competence between what the Ukrainian soldiers will be bringing to the table versus the Russian ones. I'll also put in the Substack notes just kind of a motivational video that shows all the different countries of people who have left their homeland to fight for Ukraine. If you've got, uh, it's a minute long. It is insane how many countries. I mean, it's like 20, 30, 40, maybe 50 countries. I don't know. I didn't count them all. There's a bunch. Um, So that's pretty cool to watch. And then finally, I know it's spring here in America and starting to warm up a bit. But uh, you might want to keep a kind of thought and prayer for those fighting in the eastern part of Ukraine. It is frigid and freezing there. And I've got a, uh, a video that's linked in the Substack notes where the amount of snow there is, it's, just crazy so we sometimes forget that we contextualize and we think how things are here is how things are there that's not the case so keep those uh men and women in your thoughts and prayers as they try to stay alive under lots of artillery fire and fight for their homeland so we have covered all of that pretty well we are going to move to some china news but we got to throw in a quick break Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to, please sign up for email notifications. It's free to do so unless you choose to subscribe and support what I'm doing. There is an additional benefit to subscribing, which is you will get the view from the front extended. That is a daily email Monday through Friday, usually in the mornings, that has just a quick summary of the latest military news happening out there. And again, that only goes out to paid subscribers. People are always asking me on social media how to best support my dreams, including getting out future books sooner. Believe me, the best way to support me is by signing up for a paid subscription. You can find out all the details through my Substack page, and you can support through both Substack, Patreon, or Venmo. Again, all those details are on the Substack page. But believe me, you don't have to do any of these things. I've already had incredible support and feel called to do this. So as long as I'm making enough to cover the time I invest each week, I'm not going anywhere. All right, enough of the sales pitch. All right, so to the China news. This is one of these things where I've read this several times because it's so shocking. It's like hard to believe. But as you know, China, uh, the leader visited Russia recently and uh, Vladimir Putin tried to play this off as some great friendship. Well, interestingly... Since that happened, the ambassador to China said that the assertion of, quote, unlimited friendship, end quote, between China and Russia is just a rhetorical device. This was the Chinese ambassador to the European Union. His name's uh, Fu Kong. He stated that to the New York Times. 
And um, wow, what a comment. So, quote, unlimited friendship is a rhetorical device. What's even crazier is this same gentleman says that China does not side with Russia in the conflict in Ukraine. It does not provide it with military assistance. And this is the craziest part. It does not recognize the inclusion of new territories in the Russian Federation, including Crimea and the Donbass, which is, of course, the Donbass area is the eastern part of Ukraine. The Crimean Peninsula is a southern part where we talked earlier about Kherson and having to cross the river. So this is crazy. We'll keep an eye on it. We'll see if this ambassador gets sacked or fired or if China stands by these words. But to say that they don't even recognize the new territories, to say rhetorical device, I mean, just wow, that is huge. Uh, now, maybe there's a real small chance that this was simply a, let's just say this to the European Union and see if we can buy some time because we think that they're such idiots they wouldn't realize what's really going on. I don't know. That seems so, that seems so I guess, fantastical and impossible that I just, I'm not buying that, so... I think maybe, maybe, maybe China is maybe seeing that being tied down to Russia might not be the best thing for them. Now, the other thing I wanted to cover was that uh, General Milley recently said that he wants people to lower the rhetoric on China. He said that we're not on the brink of war with China and that Taiwan would not be easy to conquer. And so he helped remind us that in the short term, we do not need to be overhyping our fears. We do not need to be thinking that some of this stuff might happen anytime soon because, as many have said, we're talking 2025, 2027, something like that. Now, a couple of other things. Of course, you still have to prepare for possibilities. So, in that line of thinking, the Marine Corps has launched. They've got a new ship-killing weapon system. If you want to read about that, you can read about it in Substack. But that'll be a way that the Marines can help counter China by defending some of these islands, helping control some of the sea lanes. But as far as defense goes, the biggest story by far is that the U.S. Naval Institute had someone write an article about China's dependence on extended overseas supply lines make it politically and economically vulnerable. Now, I don't know why no one's thought about this before, or maybe they've written about it and I haven't seen it in years. I've never thought about it. This story was as the young people say, fire. It was just incredible. So let me just read just a couple of graphs. It says, China has the second largest economy in the world and as such has an enormous appetite for raw materials. In a single year, it imports upward of $150 billion of crude petroleum, $100 billion of iron ore, $33 billion in gasoline, $32 billion of refined copper. Much of this arrives by sea. Several different types of ship transport this cargo, and it talks about how much a single tanker can carry, and container ships, how many they can carry. But it says China's dependence on extended overseas supply lines makes it politically and economically vulnerable. This is a critical vulnerability that, in the event of the conflict, could be targeted, and U.S. Marines could help. And so, I had never thought about I as many analysts have been worried about China creating an embargo around the island of Taiwan, but it had never occurred to me that should they ever take such a step and such a war begin, well, then at that point, they, you know, if you're in a state of war, an, an embargo on supplies could essentially be used against China and, de and deplete it of many of the things it needs for war fighting and to run its country. So 
I've always thought about the economic output and how it would destroy its economy because I think most of Europe and the U.S. would stop trading with Tao or with uh, China if they were to attack Taiwan. But it never occurred to me that we could literally choke it off by controlling the various sea routes. So, very interesting article. I've got it linked in the Substack. Again, it's from the U.S. Naval Institute. Go take a look if you want to. Now, there are three other things about China that I'm not going to go into detail on. You can read about them from the Substack notes. The first is that China is uh, the leader of Taiwan, actually, I apologize, is meeting with the House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy. And so I'll cover that as more news emerges from that. Uh, the second thing is that the Wall Street... Re I can't speak, I apologize. That the Wall Street Journal reported that the Chinese uh, Chinese cargo cranes control 80% of American ports. And so the Pentagon is starting to get worried about this, as are members of Congress. So I've got a story to that. And then finally, um, there's a short little bit in the Substack notes about how, as the U.S. adjusts its defensive approach toward China, here's a good reminder on why we're not ready and prepared for such a competition and there's a reporter for The Economist who talked about how for the past 20 years, we have basically been focused on a single thing. And that is irregular warfare and trying to counter to do counterinsurgency. And so a lot of the Marine, uh, Naval, and Army officers aren't really in the mindset of fighting a very large foe such as China. So got those in the Substack notes if you want to go take a look. That would be your extra credit assignment, I guess. Moving to the Middle East, just a couple of little things there. One, we have reinforced the area. I mentioned in the last podcast, I kind of predicted it, that following those attacks by drones on American troops and contractors, I thought we would send some forces over there. And we have. It's now been confirmed that we have sent over some additional uh, A-10 attack aircraft and some other uh, assets. So I've got a little story on that. There was some news that broke that six of the troops that were wounded were diagnosed with brain injuries after those explosions, so that's very sad news. Got the uh, link to that. But since then, America has uh, had one additional strike against ISIS. We killed a senior commander, so I've got that story linked as well. And I also put in a two additional things if you want to take a look at them. The uh, CENTCOM review for March. It talked about how many operations have happened, how many operatives were killed, kind of a summary of that you can go read. And then there's also a story from Task and Purpose about how the U.S. mission in Syria evolved into a proxy war with Iran, kind of lays out how we got to where we are. And then finally, I did want to mention while we're on the Middle East that Tensions have been rising in Israel, and I lay out all the details in the Substack notes. But the short of it is, is there were some protests. The Israeli police entered or stormed the uh, mosque, this very famous mosque in Jerusalem. They removed some Palestinians. The Palestinians later fired some rockets. And as we were starting to record, Israeli artillery began firing back. Now, often once those rocket attacks start, it will eventually lead into larger airstrikes, which will then lead to Palestinians firing more rockets. And sometimes the Israelis will do a ground operation. So this is particularly dangerous right now because we discussed in the last podcast about how Benjamin Netanyahu is under a lot of pressure right now. And so he may be all about something to distract the Israeli public. So this could be a very... just a 
a dangerous time. And then one final thing in the Middle East, the Saudis have cut oil production. That's not something the U.S. wanted to happen. And so that, of course, is going to lead to some higher prices in gas. And the U.S. isn't real happy about that. I've got a few paragraphs about that in the Substack notes if you want to go take a look. All right, so I think we are going to wrap up there with the news portion, and we are going to go into the best part of this show every single week. If you are new to the show, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about the motivation and wisdom section where I share things every week that usually help inspire and motivate you a bit. Hey guys, so one of the things I want to say every week is I feel like all of us are very easily influenced, whether it's seeing someone run by on the street and then it's like, oh, I should go do exercise, or whether we're watching the commercial and seeing food and suddenly we're very hungry. We all are very easily influenced, and so I want to do my small part to encourage each and every one of us that are out there because I certainly know that I need it. So I hope that these items I'm about to share help you, and if they do, Definitely tell a friend, share it with them as well. So we've got some great ones this week that I look forward to sharing with you guys. And as I say every week, if you want to find these, you can see them in the source notes. And these are some great accounts to follow on social media if you are on social media. So we'll just begin. The first one. When we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. That's a great one, isn't it? Again, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. Alright, next one. Never give up. There are always tough times. Keep going. Again, never give up. There are, are always tough times. Keep going. Next one. The older I get, the more I appreciate these four things minding my own business building a circle of winners taking care of my body and being brutally honest again the four things listed that as you get older you appreciate minding your own business building a circle of winners taking care of your body and being brutally honest maybe on the brutally honest part maybe we just lighten that up a little bit right I guess being uh, honest with others about whether you actually want to do something, I guess, is probably how I would term that one. But if you want to be brutally honest, you can. I think you should water it down just a bit. Okay, next one. To succeed, stay consistent. Again, to succeed, stay consistent. I love that one. That's the old, uh doesn't matter if you're only making like an inch a day or just the smallest measurable amount of progress. If you're headed in the right direction... You're making progress. Alright, next one. It's not what you look at that matters. It's what you see. Got a little tongue tied on that one. Let me read it again. It's not what you look at that matters. It's what you see. I love that. And I gotta say, you know, I mentioned the political uh, substack that I started this week. And um, something funny about it. I... Uh, had a couple people email me and said, Stan, why are you wasting your time with this? Why do you want to do this? Blah, 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 blah. And um, anyway, people tried to uh, maybe give me good advice or maybe keep me from making a mistake. But the reality is, is that in my mind, I knew what my gut was telling me. I knew that it was what I should do. 
and I had been running from it actually for a long time. Anyway, so I stepped forward, and even though everything that was said to me was absolutely true, this the market is saturated with content like that out there, I knew that what I saw was a path forward and something that I thought could work. And so I had to trust what I believed. And so again, it's not what you look at that matters, it's what you see. And as an update on that political uh, substack, uh, man, the results have absolutely blown me away. I had a, a certain expectation of a number of subscribers. And let's just say like about four times as many as I expected by this point. So don't worry about what others see. Don't let other people talk you out of what your gut tells you. Sometimes you got to go for it. All right, here's the next one. I see a certain life for myself, and I won't stop until I get it. Again, I see a certain life for myself, and I won't stop until I get it. Next one. Don't regret having a good heart. All good things come back and multiply. I like that. Don't regret having a good heart. All good things come back and multiply. That's really good. Next one, you find peace not by rearranging the circumstances of your life, but by realizing who you are at the deepest level. That one is kind of deep. You got to listen to that one. I'll probably read it at least one more time, maybe twice. You find peace not by rearranging the circumstances of your life, but by realizing who you are at the deepest level. Man, that one's really, really good. I'm going to read it one more time. You find peace not by rearranging the circumstances of your life, but by realizing who you are at the deepest level. You know, I have to say that um, obviously you guys know that my mother passed recently, and um, there were some things that I wasn't too sure of um, as far as history. And, you know, we all have history with our parents. Anyone who says they don't isn't telling the truth. Uh, but it's interesting that um, as I've gone through all this, uh, I have gained a lot of clarity and figured out some things and realized some assumptions I had were wrong. And um, I've really gotten a lot of peace about it. So um, there really is something about getting down to your deepest level. So, uh, yeah, again, it was you find peace not by rearranging the circumstances of your life, but by realizing who you are at your deepest level. Next one. Happiness shows internal beauty. Thoughts show state of mind. Behavior shows the language of heart. That's another deep one. Again, happiness shows internal beauty. Thoughts show state of mind. Behavior shows the language of the heart. I like that. Next one. The calmer you are, the clearer you think. We, I feel like every week we have one kind of along those lines. you got to control your emotions for sure. Next one. Don't. Ah, I'll try that again. Next one. Don't sacrifice the good times just because you're busy worrying about the bad times. Let it go and make the most of the present. It's good. Again, don't sacrifice the good times just because you're busy worrying about the bad times. Let it go and make the most of the present. Next one. Trust your intuition. It never lies. Ooh, I should have read that one earlier when I was talking about the political substack page I started. All right, next one. What if everything you are going through is preparing 
you for what you asked for. Oh, that one is so, so deep. What if everything you are going through is preparing you for what you asked for? It uh, reminds me, I recently reheard a quote. It's one of those, you know, you remember great quotes and then you'll forget them for a few years and then you hear them again. But uh, Tiger Woods apparently used to say, uh, don't get bitter, get better. And uh, man, that stuck with me again after I recently reheard it. But again, don't get bitter, get better. And uh, what if everything you're going through is preparing you for what you asked for? That is good. And that hits home as I'm you know, I have 11 books out there and I'm constantly trying to improve them and they're selling decent, but they're not selling as good as I want. I'm chasing this dream to be a full-time author, but as I constantly improve them, I know that the time is coming and, um, yeah, it hits home for me. Everything you're going through is preparing you for what you asked for. And so in my case, it's getting more product out there. It's making it better and just waiting for that moment for it to take off. All right, let's go to the next one. Believe in yourself, work hard, and don't let anyone tell you what you can or can't do. It's a great one. Next one. Stop hating yourself for everything you aren't and start loving yourself for everything you already are. That is so good. It's a quote I once heard something about uh, was some rock band, but it's like what if they had heard like Mozart or something and was like, let's forget the drums and the guitar. We got to be like Mozart. Nope. You do not. You need to be like who you are. You need to be that rock band. All right, next one. If it was easy, everyone would do it. Again, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Next one. Some people dream of success, while other people get up every morning and make it happen. Oh, the old hard work one. We don't like to hear that one, do we? Some people dream of success while other people get up every morning and make it happen. Next one. You need to be so annoyed at your life that you are prepared to do what it takes to live a better one. Oh, another hard work one. You need to be so annoyed at your life that you are prepared to do what it takes to live a better one. Oh, that's good. Alright, next one. You have to fight through some bad days to earn the best days of your life. That's good. It seems like, you know, especially when you restart trying to exercise or something, like everything goes wrong. Nothing is easy, especially when you first start. All right, next one. A wise man makes his own decisions. An ignorant man follows public opinion. It's a great one. Next one. Grateful for where I am. Excited about where I'm going. I just love the uh, optimism of that one. Grateful for where I am. Excited about where I'm going. Next one. Be yourself. People don't have to like you, and you don't have to care. Oh, that's a good one, too, isn't it? Be yourself. People don't have to like you, and you don't have to care. All right, next one. Mistakes are proof that you are trying. Love that one, too. All right, next one. If we spend our time with regrets over yesterday and worries over what might happen tomorrow. We have no today in which to live. That one's a little similar to one we read earlier. Next one, this is kind of a mantra you can tell yourself. My thoughts are strong. My beliefs are strong. I am strong. That's a great one. Read one more time. My thoughts are strong. My beliefs are strong. I am strong. I always like to end with this one. 
Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a great one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. For those who want to know a little bit more about me, here's the short version. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I left home to join the Marine Corps at the age of 17. I was also crazy enough to demand that the Marine Corps put me down for guaranteed infantry. I served four years in the infantry, saw enough danger to decide I no longer had anything else to prove, and I exited military service in 1999. I earned a degree from the University of Tennessee in journalism and spent 10 plus years in the news business. I worked initially as a reporter, but then went on to start a weekly newspaper. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013, but once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 11 books, and while I still have my sights set on the tallest peaks in the writing world, I'm now here as well, a once-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. Well, I've talked enough about me. I really hope you'll consider at least signing up to be a free subscriber. And if you can, consider at some point becoming a paid subscriber. Again, you can do both of these things at my substack, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. Let's all work together to unite this country. And also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. And if you've got a dream kicking around in the back of your mind, go after it. If you have that friend or family member that you know you should reach out to, who you haven't talked to in a few months, reach out to them. And finally, if you're one of those awesome military folks listening out there, if you need help, please reach out to someone. Call a friend or a family member do it for us all. We've lost too many of the greatest folks that this country has produced to suicide. So I'm asking you to be brave once more and show some vulnerability. Take a deep breath, breathe, call a friend or family member, one of your fellow veterans, someone who can help. There's obviously hotline numbers as well that you can call. With that, I appreciate each and every one of you, every tweet, every share, every email that I get. I can't tell you how much those mean to me. Also, if you haven't already put a rating on some of the social media places that you listen to us, whether it's Apple Podcasts or some of the others, if you could drop a rating, that'd be great. We're trying to get those up because I've heard if you get them up to 30 or 40, then the algorithms take over. So that'd be a great way to help out. Finally, I should mention my books. I've written 11 of them. I've written a CIA Marine Sniper series. I've written a detective series. I've written a private investigator series. I've written a crammed, action-packed Western. I've written a motivational self-help book. And I've even written two realistic war novels, one about World War II, one about Afghanistan. You can find all of those books on Amazon by simply searching my name, Stan R. Mitchell, or you can find the link to them in the Substack notes. Again, thanks so much, guys, for joining us this week. And with that, I am out. <laughs>